Welcome back to Left Anchor. I'm Alexi the Greek. And I'm Ryan Cooper. So today we've got a special guest, uh, serving member of the Nashville City Council, Sean Parker from the 5th District. And he is currently in the process of running for re-election. Um, That's right. And so... August 3rd, is it, that he's up? It's right? in August. I'm not sure Sometime in which August. day. August. But that's coming up thanks to a court case they won. As you'll hear uh, in the interview, the, the Republican state legislature is attempting to scramble the entire rules of the election just a couple of months before it would was happened, would have happened uh, by cutting the number of uh, city council members in half from 40 to 20, I believe. Um, but luckily... That did not work. It uh, was rolled out of order by the courts. <laughs> and so they're going ahead. But yeah, we've got Sean on to just talk about all the drama that's been going down in uh, Tennessee. You know, the battles between. So much drama. Yeah. The battle between the state legislature got- and uh, Nashville that's been going on for years and years and now. other other subdivisions you know it's it's the state versus local contest baby yeah yeah and of course the expulsion of the three uh democratic legislators um who were the tennessee three i like i like that moniker yeah tennessee three it's pretty good they were expelled from their seats for basically speaking out of turn um and for caring about kids getting massacred and uh it was a big no-no because they didn't follow procedure and uh, didn't allow, you know, in session to proceed without addressing the concern for kids getting massacred. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah. Sure, you've all heard about that or most of you might have. But, uh, yeah, we dig into that and many other related things. But there's, there's really important context in history, I think, um, that uh, foregrounds that conversation. Yep. But yeah, b- before we get to it, uh, I think we, we just got to mention, as usual, that this podcast is sponsored by the America Prospect magazine. Um, and if you subscribe at the $10 a month tier on Patreon, you'll get a free digital subscription to the website, as well as a discounted print subscription if you want it, uh, plus bonus episodes. If you subscribe at $5 a month, you'll get uh, bonus episodes, which is every other one. Um, or you can just enjoy this one rate review on Apple podcasts or wherever. And, um, that does help us. That does help us. We do appreciate it. And it also warms our heart when you write nice things. Indeed. Uh, plus, plus it's still true. It's still true that the turfs and the transphobes tried to mess up our ratings. So you're, you are harming transphobes if you give us good reviews. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, Say what you want about crimes against Robert's rules of order. Say crimes against the uh, left anchor star rating on Apple Podcasts is far worse. <laughs> Review bombing Absolutely. us should get you <laughs> expelled from polite society. Anyway, let's let's get to our interview with Sean Parker right now. Sean, uh, welcome to the program. Um, there's so much to ask, you know, the, like there's been so much crazy drama in Tennessee, uh, over the last like couple of weeks. I want to get into the specifics a bit later, I think, but can you, can you set us up with some background, um, on the sort of general political conditions in Tennessee and in Nashville? Uh, you know, 
how how the state has like traditionally related to its most important city. I think that's fair to say, right? Uh, yeah. And like, how has it changed over the last like say ten, fifteen years? Yeah, hundred percent. Well, thank you guys for having me on today. Um, really excited to be here. Been a long time listener of the pod, uh, so appreciate the opportunity. So. You know, Nashville, like a lot of other cities in red states, um, is kind of more liberal, um, trending more in the progressive direction than the state at large um, as time goes on. And Tennessee as a whole was fairly balanced. You know, we voted with the um, the presidential winner um, typically in, in recent decades um, we did, Al Gore did lose Tennessee in 2000. Um, uh, but so after Barack Obama was elected, though, you really saw a kind of a electoral backlash. Um, you saw in that those 2010, uh, midterms where there were just, you know, state legislative losses all over the country, just, just, just massive ones piling up. Um, Tennessee fell victim to that. And we've sort of been in a uh, solidifying and strengthening GOP trifecta supermajority environment uh, since since 2010. Kind of brought that in, and you know, generally there's there in, in the in recent years there've been these like hot point issues, like if it's you know Nashville tries to do something on immigration or Nashville tries to do something on affordable housing. You know, there'll be a big hubbub and the state will preempt us and, um, you know, they'll pass a law to say, oh, you can't do that. And then we all say, darn, we really wanted to do something good, but the mean old state won't let us. Uh, but generally, there was an interest from kind of the business community and the liberals in Nashville and the conservatives that ran the state to say, well, let's let's make sure the trains run on time. Let's make sure business continues as usual, still bringing companies here to relocate still keeping the tourism dollars flowing. Um, and I think that what has changed in this moment is it seems like that separate piece or whatever you want to call it is, is not guiding the relationship the way it used to. Um, the, the, the mutual respect or the shared interest just doesn't seem to be there that was there, you know, four years ago. Um, and I think that what has really ratcheted that up is the sort of the in in 2020, you know, we had the the racial justice uh, demonstrations, um, we had COVID restrictions, and we had the presidential loss of uh, Donald Trump's reelection campaign. And I think that those three things just sort of <laughs> whatever whatever happy um, balance there was just really set the 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 GOP MAGA crowd um on a on a uh, kind of a revanchist course. Revanchist MAGA people? Unheard of. Uh yeah, no. <laughs> I, but what's especially interesting that we'll dig into even more, but um if you could just spell out for people who might not know that much about 
constitutional power and uh, state versus local, because you're, you're talking about a partisan division, but also a state versus local division. And it's a very different thing, uh, the state versus the city, the state versus local government, than it is, say, federal versus state, right? There's a, a much more uh, bigger asymmetry of power, shall we say. So maybe for those that don't understand like constitutional law, could you explain that for people? Yeah, and I'm happy to just with the caveat that I am not a lawyer. Um, and, you know, we've actually been really digging into these topics because of a, a lawsuit um, that we um, had a victory in uh, just yesterday against the state. But, you know, there's a there's sort of two competing theories um, of how states and we call them political subdivisions. So that's your your counties, your cities, and your metropolitan governments, which are combined counties and cities. That's what Nashville is. Nashville is actually the first metropolitan government in the country. Um, so it's a combined county and city. Um, but there are folks, especially in the GOP supermajority trifecta government, who say, well, these political subdivisions, they are creatures of the state. And then thus they are, we can basically do anything we want to them. Um, if we want to change something, we'll change it. And if they don't like it tough, um, you know, we've had this fight in Tennessee before. I think it, it really flared up in the fifties and again in the seventies. Um, and that resulted in what's called the home rule amendments to the, the state constitution. And so the home rule amendments are basically to say, you know, you can't pass a law that just targets Nashville. You can't pass a law that just targets Memphis. Um, and what has happened there is you've started to see more and more laws that will say like, okay, well, this law, it does apply statewide, but it only affects metropolitan governments with over half a million people in them. You know, and it's, it's obviously that's violating the spirit of home rule. Um, but we are seeing more and more stuff like that. Like, for example, with the lawsuit I mentioned, um, where they were trying to restructure the metro government, you know, we have a kind of a unique government. We have 40 um, council members for a city of about 740,000 people. Um, so it's almost kind of like a New Hampshire, Vermont vibe, you know, where there's, there's, um, every neighborhood gets representation on the body. And, you know, that's, that was not something that we randomly came up with. There was an eight year process that led to the consolidation of the metro government. There was lots of debate. There was lots of, um, compromise that put us at this structure. Um, and successfully got the charter approved by the voters. Um, and so what the state did is they said, well, we're going to target metropolitan governments with this law, force them to restructure the government, but only if they have more than 20 council members. <laughs> and guess how many uh, cities in – guess how many metros in Tennessee have more than 20 council members? It's it's one. Yes, one. it's us. So, you know, the the there's – we can get more into that lawsuit if y'all want at some point, or I can talk about it now. But, you know, there's um, basically we have elections in August, right? And so they passed this law, I don't know, six weeks ago or something. I mean, people were already picking up nominating petitions to run for office. People were already raising money. Some people had raised tens of thousands of dollars. Um, and, you know, they're they're completely changing the the structure of the government. So these people – 
you know, I picked up a nominating petition that says District 5. That was going to change if we didn't win this lawsuit for an election in August. You know, people have already printed up signs. People have already – anyway, it's so, – it's, um, What's the status with the, with the win yesterday? That's great. Congratulations, by the way. Uh, so what, yeah. what, did that, what did that change? What's the state of play now? So, you know, essentially – <laughs> Another example of um, the state. So we we have won some fights with the state over the years. Um, we won one uh, a few years back and it caused them to get mad and they changed the way that the court system worked in, in Tennessee. So typically before, if we challenged the con- – if we challenged a state law on constitutional grounds, we would have filed – uh, a lawsuit in our Davidson County Chancery Court. It would have been heard first by a, a chancellor um, elected by the people of Davidson County, and then it would have gone through the regular appeals process um, if either party decided to appeal. State didn't like that because they kept losing, so they established a new uh, constitutional court. So now when we challenge the constitutionality of a law, it, we, we file it in ch- uh, um, Chancery Court, and then we get one chancellor from Nashville – and then one chancellor from uh, each grand division. So East Tennessee and West Tennessee. We're in Middle Tennessee. It's a Tennessee, as y'all probably know, it's a long hot dog shaped state. So we talk about the three grand divisions. But so our cases get heard by three judges, only one of whom lives in Nashville. Um, in this case, you know, the two other judges on our challenge to the forced restructuring of metro government, the two other judges were, you know, pretty openly Republican associated folks. So they heard this case and they said, you know, there's some interesting, I'm summarizing here. They said, there's some interesting constitutional questions here. We might have home rule violations. We might have, you know, other constitutional issues, but you certainly cannot inject chaos into this local electoral cycle by scrambling all the districts by, you know, doubling the size of every district um, and by, you know, changing the number of at-large folks. Um, you cannot do that this late in the game. And so just, um, I think it was yesterday, the courts issued um, an injunction to halt the law from being implemented, you know, this summer in these elections, and then to say, okay, and then you can adjudicate all these other constitutional issues and, and all that stuff. Um, so it's a big win. I mean, it's, it's, it feels funny to say they're going to allow us the privilege of having our, our city council elections as scheduled, but you know, we, we, we won. I mean, this was, um, this was of the sort of anti Nashville slate of legislation that has come through this year. You know, this was the one that Republican leadership said not negotiable. You know, we're not talking on that one. They're like, we'll listen on the other ones, but we are cutting the council down. We are restructuring your government, whether you like it or not. And, you know, frankly, as someone who's kind of been politically involved in, in Tennessee for years, it's, it was a much needed win um, to, to, to let Nashville kind of um, be Nashville um, in spite of every, all the headwinds that the state is putting against us. It's a win for democracy. Absolutely. Got to take, take the wins when we can, right? Well, you know, there's a way to modify our charter and restructure our government and uh, you got to take it before the voters. They get a say in it. You can't just you can't just force it on them. The Republicans are not so much in favor of that, of of, <laughs> of, of having I've voters noticed. decide things. I don't know. <laughs> they're more and more. They're saying that out loud. I don't know. 
<laughs> what was the yeah. uh one last question on this thing. Like, what was the point of this? Like, like, was it just pure vindictive spite? You know, just like, hey, we're cutting your council in half because screw you. Or was there some sort of a strategy to like get rid of them? You, you know, I thought I, I always like think through all these different scenarios and I, I kind of thought for a little while that it, it was part of a really like well thought out, you know, effort. Between like, you know, right leaning business interests and the Republican Party. And they had this big plan to take over, uh, the city council. And, and, you know, at this point, um, I think it was, it was just kind of a fuck you. I mean, pure I think it id. Was, it's pure id. It's, it's, it's just, we want to remind y'all, um, you know, again, these folks are operating from the, the mistaken, um, orientation that we are, that They're political servants. subdivisions are yes. creatures of the state. That's right. Yeah. And the, 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 the opposing view is that we are creatures of the state constitution. That's right. We are not creatures of the state legislature. We do not exist at Speaker Sexton's uh, grace. Uh, we exist because the constitution of the state of Tennessee uh, create uh, gives us the ability to exist, and and it is true. Just to, so broadly speaking, state and local government uh, relationships are very much dictated by the state constitution. So, like, if the people of the state in ratifying the state constitution said the state can fuck over local government, that would be the case. That like the federal constitution gives states the ability to create constitutions that do that. But it's nice to know that your state constitution can be read in a way that does not say that that's what, what is supposed to happen in Tennessee. So that's nice. Yeah. And again, I mean, going back to uh, the 50s and the 70s, we put amendments in the constitution as a result of the state yeah. being too heavy handed with, with, with cities. Um, yeah. This is not the first time this has happened and it won't be the last. Yeah. Um, but yeah, can we – so – can we move on to the 2024 RNC? Can you give us the drama on this? Like why the proposal was made, why it, it didn't make it through the uh, Nashville government and what Republicans did in response? Yeah. Um, so I guess this was the summer of last summer. Um, and this is, some folks talk about this as though it was kind of the opening shot of the, you know, state versus Nashville um, war. And it's not, but it was certainly a, a high profile um, um, incident. So uh, some business leaders and Republican leaders in the state put together a committee to try and bring the RNC to um, Tennessee, to Nashville specifically, the Republican National Convention. Um you know, they, I won't say they really didn't make any effort. I mean, like they didn't, they didn't have a lobbyist registered for the first like several months of their effort. Um, they didn't really talk to council members and not just myself. You know, I think there's some folks might look at me and say, well, we're not even going to bother talking with him. That's fair. Um, but they weren't talking to other folks. Just, just from know? the look of you, uh, from the look of you, I would want to talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I mean, I, I honestly was a little bit, um, you know, being someone uh, on on the left politically, you know, I don't like the idea of saying no to any political party um, having their convention. But I mean, in this case, it's like, you know, the, the guy that runs your party, the, the, the head of your party, last time he lost an election, he basically told everybody to come riot in the city. 
You know, I mean, there was there was there was more than just this ideological. Now, there's plenty of ideological and just like political reason to turn this thing down. I mean, this was a few months after they gerrymandered away the uh, fifth district of, of Tennessee, the congressional district, which was largely Nashville. Um, it's funny. Nashville's population grew um, between the 2010 and 2020 census, basically just enough to be a perfect congressional district on its own. And then this is the census where they decide to to blow it up into three pieces. Um, <laughs> what, so, what's the population? That, what's the population roughly? It's now? like seven hundred and forty, um, I think seven twenty two, yeah. seven forty, some, somewhere yeah. in that range. Uh, but very close to you know one of our uh, a ninth of the of the state's population, which we have nine congress members. Um, so the RNC, this proposal comes forward. Um, you know, there's there's. No votes for it. I mean, there's there's like three or four people on the council who would vote for it. We're getting pummeled with emails in opposition. Um, you know, there's overtures made about they're going to, you know, cut the council. They're going to do this. They're going to do that. They're going to take over the sports authority. But, you know, I mean, we really don't have – nobody is like – you know, Milwaukee is what was ultimately selected. And if you look at how that worked in Milwaukee – they had special committee meetings. They had experts come testify about how you could make the convention safe. You know, just frankly, they made a real effort to garner enough support from the Milwaukee City Council to get the thing approved. Whereas here in Tennessee, it was just more like, oh, how dare you all not be thrilled about having a big Republican parade party in your city after we just – you know, have preempted you on all these laws in the last few years and just did away with your congressional representation. How can you not, how, how dare you not be thrilled about that? (laughs) So I think it ended up getting withdrawn. I mean, like one really good um, indicator of how poor their effort was is um, one of my colleagues, Robert Swope was the sponsor of the legislation to approve the RNC. You know, Swope is a hyper partisan. Um, You know, he worked on the Donald Trump campaigns um, you know, he, I don't believe he's ever passed a countywide bill. Um, and he's been in office for like seven or eight years. He's not the guy you give a bill you want to pass, you know? And so they couldn't find a sponsor. I mean, you know, you got one of 40 members, you know, like that, that's just, they did not make a serious effort. So, um, but we did see like, you know, as that vote went down, as we shot down the resolution to, to host the RNC, you know, Republican, um, State Republican leadership was tweeting basically like like one of them, the uh, I forgot what his title is, but, you know, he's tweeting, oh, this session's going to be fun, you know, in response to us turning down the RNC. So it, it, it did sort of – it gave them a kind of public permission to go after Nashville in all these different ways. But, um, you know, I it, it was not the opening shot. Um, but it was the one that gave them permission to kind of launch this legislative onslaught against us. Um, uh, can you tell me, tell us about another, another one, this, this, uh, stripping this, the funding from this music center. Am I, my understanding of this is like, like Nashville set up this thing with like a special like tax on itself. Basically, like like on Nashville residents to fund like a little public, you know, uh, concert doohickey like people have done since time immemorial. And the state's trying to like 
throw a wrench in the entire process and like invalidate uh, like a bunch of the tax code potentially. What's the story there? Yes. Yeah, so the Music City Center um, is a convention center that was constructed. It was kind of our um, our answer to the Great Recession. Um, and it was big picture. It was the biggest public project in um, Nashville's history. Still is today. Um, unless we approve this NFL stadium, which we might talk about at some point. Um, so it's like $600 million in 2010 money, I think. A ton of money. But it was financed largely by um, setting up a special tax district um, to capture um, 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 sales taxes as well as some countywide hotel taxes. So like, you know, theoretically, it's largely paid for by tourism and the, and the visiting folks. Uh, in reality, it's very much paid for by locals as well. But, you know, this thing, when you, when we set up these big public projects, the financing is, at least in Nashville's case, it's usually pretty conservative. So we usually estimate, um, you know, on the lower end, Nashville's had this like tremendous success, um, with tourism. Um, we've become the bachelorette destination. Um, we have huge events. Um, and so that those, those revenues that have come in have actually been like much higher than what is needed to, um, to pay for the Music City Center. Um, it's a good problem to have. We've worked with, um, you know, it, it, it's very much a partnership. We've worked with them to, to use some of that funding to help cover, you know, and right now a little bit of that funding goes to affordable housing. You know, it's, it's not huge stuff that we're getting back out of it, but the two things that the state Republicans are trying to do is there's a authority, the convention center authority. Um, these are Davidson County residents. They're appointed by the mayor and approved by the Metro council. They want to change it to where those are appointed by the governor and the speaker of the house and the state's uh, Senate. What do they call him? The um, speaker of the state Senate. Um, basically, Republican leadership wants to appoint um, all the all the seats on the board. And then also they want to make it so that we can't use. You know, we can't ask them for surplus funds to pay for things like affordable housing and whatnot. Um, that I think is it, it's, it's really, so there's that. And then there's also, they're talking about just doing away with some of the special tax districts that do fund to, to pay off that debt and to support that project that they've kind of backed off of because once the comptroller, you know, kind of the, the finance overlord for the state saw some of that. I mean, he was like, you can't do this. Like these are like, there's contracts protect these revenue streams. And, you know, it's one thing to get sued by Metro, um, it's another thing to get sued by the kind of folks who buy these municipal bonds and represent the folks <laughs> who hold these municipal bonds. <laughs> so I think yeah. they backed off of the, the defunding of it, um, pretty quickly, but you know, they still want control of it. They want to take the money. You think they're trying to get their fingers in the pot? Yeah. hundred percent. I mean, they, they, they're, you know, the, the, the frustrating thing about the, the, the disconnect there is that for those of us who have seen live in Nashville and have seen its kind of rise to a global destination, it's some folks think it's that I think we're headed that direction. Um, but either way, more and more tourists coming in, you know, Airbnb moving into the neighborhoods and gobbling up rental housing and, and 
So the, 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 the big tourism push that we've made over the last 13 years has really contributed to the, some of the housing affordability issues. You know, when you take a third of the rental stock in a neighborhood and, and convert it to Airbnb, um, that's going to have a huge impact, um, on affordability and availability of housing. And so when we're able to work with them and say, you know, can you make a contribution from your, you know, like pile of Scrooge McDuck money over there at the Music City Center to help some of these issues that we know the tourism, the tremendously successful tourism economy is driving some of these issues. You know, can you make a contribution? And they've agreed to do that. And the state is saying, we don't want you working with them on that. They're saying we want the Scrooge McDuck pile for, I don't know what they would steer it toward, but it ain't going to be housing. No, it'd be like uh, the next Jeffrey Epstein kind of situation. That they want to, you know, <laughs> do some naughty, <laughs> naughty billionaire things. I don't know. So, but seriously, though, I, what else, Sean? Do you think we should know? Because I'm curious about a couple of things that are obvious and, uh, and important for our audience. One is what other context uh, in state local politics do we need to understand the racist anti-democratic ex- expulsion situation that's happened recently and um, and also, I want to ask about um, socialism, right, in Tennessee. And, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm not outing you by saying you're a socialist, but you're only one of two socialists, apparently, right, that's been elected in Tennessee uh, currently, right? So, so maybe you could speak to those two things, the presence of socialists and, and DSA, and maybe any other background you think is important to understand the recent events. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a, there's a, um, there's a huge, uh, <laughs> there's there's a lot in that question. So the, the 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 political context, the racist expulsion. I mean, you know, there's there's a fundamental like anti-democratic strain. I mean, that that probably goes without saying um, for these like far right MAGA folks that are that are running the state right now. I mean, the the thing that has gotten maybe the least attention in this assault on Nashville is um, is they're you know undoing the. Um, they're making it illegal for us to have community oversight boards for, for our local police departments. So, you know, this was something that, um, one of the things that really got me involved in local politics in 2018 was, you know, this push by people who were directly affected by, um, police killings, um, organizing to establish an oversight board. They tried to do it through the legislative process at city council. Um, that failed and they said, well, we're going to go out, we're going to, sweat and we're going to collect signatures to put a charter amendment um, on the ballot. They did that. We did that. Um, and and it went to the ballot and the people overwhelmingly voted in favor of it. Um, you know, we had a really tragic um, police killing in the city of Memphis earlier in the year. I believe it was in January. Um, Tyree Nichols, um, I'm not going to recount the details of it here, but I mean, if you listen to that story, you can you can hear his family tell the story um, on various videos and whatnot. I mean, just brutal, um, heart wrenching, um, just brutality. Um, and it's in that context that this general assembly general assembly came together in February, weeks after, and filed this bill to abolish community oversight. I mean, there is no sensitivity. There is no, um, there is no, if there's awareness, it is purely hostile of the dynamics. Um, 
And I think that going back to the, the expulsions, I mean, the guy from Sevierville, um, Andrew Farmer, I mean, you, you can just, he's the one that got up, um, and was talking to, I, I think it was Justin Jones and just saying, you know, well, I mean, I can't, I can't imitate him, but you know, just being <laughs> you completely. You can try if you want. If it doesn't work, we can cut it out. We want to try to imitate him, try to imitate him. No, I don't know what he said well enough. And I, but you know, it just, just complete, just, um, just dressing this young lawmaker down. Just there's, there's something that I learned, you know, um, there's a way that people will talk down to you in meetings when they know you can't respond. Um, and it felt, it felt like that. Um, but obviously with this like hyper, uh, present racial uh, overtones, I was going to say undertones, but, um, um, you know, it, these folks, Maybe you can start and just for those who aren't aware, the news has been, I mean, it's been in the news, but for those who maybe have been on, just totally missed it, uh, maybe just say what's happened very recently. Yeah. So um, we had um, a couple of young uh, legislators elected, one of them from Nashville, his name's Justin Jones, uh, one of them from the Memphis area, Justin Pearson, um, and then kind of a, a, a longtime member of the uh, General Assembly, Gloria Johnson from, from Knoxville. So it's kind of perfect. You know, I talked about our grand divisions. We've got the Tennessee three. We've got one from east, one from west, and one from middle Tennessee. So, uh, it's, it's a, it's a very Tennessee way to do things. Um, but, you know, we had this tragedy in Nashville a couple weeks ago. Um, a, uh, you know, someone with an assault rifle went into their former elementary school and killed, uh, three children and three faculty and staff. Um, and, you know, the, one of the responses that folks had was, you know, okay, it's time to take a look at this gun stuff because, you know, you, you can't touch guns in Tennessee. Um, the, the, the gun lobby has made examples of Republican legislators who do anything on guns or are insufficiently supportive of this kind of batshit, you know, assault rifles for all gun policy. Um, so anyway, folks were up at the Capitol. They were saying, y'all file a bill. Let's have a debate, like something, anything. And, you know, the, the response from leadership was, you know, no, we're not talking about this. We're not listening. So Justin, Justin and Gloria said, no, we're going to go up to the well, which is where the microphone is that you speak from. Um, and this is during session that we're going to go up to the well and we're going to demand that, you know, we have this conversation, that something happened, that, that whatever, like, we're not just going to pretend like six folks aren't, you know, dead riddled with bullets and like it didn't happen. Um, and so their microphone got cut off and then one of them pulled out a bullhorn and they said, you know, well, you can cut off our mics, but we're still going to, you know, I don't know exactly what was said. Basically, they broke the rules of procedure. They approached the well. They spoke on the microphone without, uh, you know, without Cameron Sexton saying they were allowed to. It's a big no-no. Um, but, you know, the, yes, the mur reaction. Murdering, murdering kids, no big deal. Breaking procedure in session with the microphone, big deal. Yeah, yeah sorry. We can't do anything about the uh, mass killings that are happening with, with frequency. Uh, but folks let's get, speak out let's, of order. Let's get our priorities right, Sean. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, the, the reaction from Cameron Sexton and the Republican caucus was to file 
uh, motions for expulsion for all three of those members. This is the most extreme punishment um, that you can um, take against a House member. I mean, we've seen it a couple of times in, in recent political history. And, you know, both times it was folks had done things that would really like in their political careers. Otherwise, you know, corruption, bribery, um, criminal charges. Um, I mean, th- there's a like I a, alleged or admitted there's a there's someone who is widely believed to be a pedophile um, in the Republican caucus who is apparently on tape apologizing to one of his victims. Um, and that's never been an issue. Um, there's just all kinds of things that like have happened over the years and didn't result in really any sort of disciplinary action. That man um, that I was referencing was actually made chair of the education committee. Um, and the alleged, um, the alleged um, activity took place with uh, girls he was coaching at the time um, as an, as an, you know, adult. And anyway, so there's, there's plenty of ghouls, plenty of bad things happening and there's never any discipline. Um, and so these folks go out of, go out of order, break the rules and, We've got expulsion hearings. Um, it's a high bar. You need two thirds of members to support expulsion for it to happen. Um, the GOP held pretty firm. Um, I think they lost like one member on Justin Jones' expulsion vote, so he was he was voted to be expelled. Justin Pearson, um, I think, had even um, more votes for expulsion. And then um, Gloria Johnson narrowly survived. It's actually interesting because they went the order they went. They went Justin Jones, Gloria Johnson, and and then Justin Pearson. Justin Pearson was the deciding vote to to not expel Gloria. So if they had gone in a different order, all three of them would have been expelled. <laughs> interesting. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so um, anyway, this just huge, just overreaction, you know, and. It's gotten more attention to the state of Tennessee than I've ever seen nationally. I mean, it's um, – I believe it's CNN, MSNBC. I don't, I don't have any of those channels, but um, my parents love to send me pictures of me when they see me on the TV. And, um, <laughs> As they should. And I've got like – Absolutely. And, you know, friends are reaching out who are apolitical for the most part, folks that certainly don't think about, you know, state and local and who Cameron Sexton is and who's the state, you know, legislator. Um, it's really kind of broken through this, this expulsions of the Tennessee three. I mean, for Nashville's part, we had a special meeting yesterday, um, because the vacancies are filled by the county commission. Um, in Metro's case, that's the Metro government. Um, and so we, you know, suspended the rules and just said, we're just going to put Justin right back in there. It was a great moment. There's all these people at the courthouse. We voted to put him back in there and they just marched right up the street from, uh, from our courthouse to the Capitol building. And, uh, and he was sworn in and he was back on the floor that evening. So, um, we were able to, to get it together and get him back in there really quickly, which I'm proud of, but, um, no, no, that's, that's good. That's good background. So, so you, you were kind of, um, bringing people up to speed on uh, the kind of anti-democratic nature and the racist nature of these expulsions, uh, because people who might have heard of the news certainly don't necessarily know all the context that you were providing beforehand, and we're trying to understand it better in light of all that. So I think you're were, you were, you were explaining that, and I was also curious about the kind of socialist uh, yeah. kind of counter to the GOP and, and everything. Yeah, yeah so it, it's, it's – um, we – 
the, the thing about the Democratic Party in Tennessee is that it doesn't really have um, much going on. Um, you know, there are like these, you know, gerrymandered, like super blue safe seats in the cities. And then there's like a couple of like purplish seats, you know, blueish seats that, you know, are competitive in a, in a good year when you've got two, you know, strong candidates on each side. But, you know, for the most part, it's, it's folks that are sitting in these seats and they're not, for the most part, there are some exceptions to this, but for the most part, people are not out trying to build the party, you know, reach out into rural communities and whatnot. So, um, there's not a, like, I think that a lot of my, um, colleagues in DSA, other electeds, you know, they're dealing with like a democratic machine in their state or in their city. Like we just kind of don't have that. Um, so it almost, it almost leaves like a space open for folks on the left, like socialists, like myself to, to kind of, um, occupy a space. Um, there's actually, I, you'd have to ask, um, Seema and Amelia out in Knoxville. There was for a time, I thought that I might've been the first and only socialist ever elected in the state of Tennessee in 2019. But then I found that Seema, um, Seema Singh in Knoxville was apparently, um, identifying as an open socialist in 2017 when she was elected, which is super cool. Um, and then Amelia, she's like definitely like movement adjacent, but, um, I don't know if she identifies as a socialist. Um, but you know, the thing is that we don't have, um, you know, we are so deeply constrained by state law and other factors at the municipal level that, you know, we can't pass Medicare for all. We can't even raise the minimum wage. We can't do this, that, and the other. So, I mean, for me, what it's been is sort of like engaging in this project of municipalism, you know, of saying like, well, here is the, here is the vehicle that's available to us. And then, so what does it look like to live out, you know, socialist values right. within these confines, you know? And it's, I, yeah. I talk about this with like DSA folks all the time. Like they sent me a questionnaire in 2019 for national endorsement, which I did not get. My chapter endorsed me, but um, I mean, they sent me this questionnaire with like all this detailed, like foreign policy stuff. And I was just like, I don't <laughs> Do they know, know what you anything. do? Do they know what yeah, your like, job is? <laughs> like, I'm probably with y'all on all this stuff, but like, I don't, I don't have time to go research it. You know, I'm not here talking with folks about garbage yeah. collection and, so, and zoning, you know? So wait, like, I, what, I, I, what, what looks different than for a socialist in your, to occupy your position uh, versus just like a centrist Democrat versus a Republican, given the constraints of the the red state and the power of the state against the municipal, right? So what what actually does look different? Would you say? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a it's a willingness to you know try to engage and empower my constituents and my neighbors um, democratically. I mean, we have you know, these big forces of, you know, um, tech capital and real estate capital that are really shaping cities, especially cities that are growing as fast as Nashville. And, you know, it's like, you know, I'm a, I'm a pro housing socialist. I want to see housing built as a general rule of thumb. But when you come in here and you say, okay, well, we want to build some housing here. Oh, it happens to be where 200 mostly black families live in some of the only affordable housing left in the district. Well, you know, we're, we're going to have to tap the brakes there um, because there's other places you can build this stuff. And it's like, you know, the, the, the places where um, the displacement issues are, are huge in a city like Nashville. I mean, I think that this is like around the country, like any place that has like a walkable, you know, urban core and like 
decent schools and like some kind of like infrastructure and cultural amenities is just getting like just people are just moving to it, moving to it, moving to it. And a ton of those neighborhoods throughout the US, especially in the South, um, you know, the the core of the cities were where the black folks lived. Um, and a lot of them still do. And so, you know, just just having a willingness to, you know, do everything possible to empower those folks to get better outcomes. I mean, we usually there's still displacement, but sometimes like the asks are different in different contexts. Sometimes it's um, and so just to be clear, the reason why we have so much say over development is because we have um, zoning in Nashville. I think most cities have some kind of zoning. So if somebody wants to build 500 units on this two acre property, but you know, right now the zoning only lets them build 100, then they have to come have meetings and they have to right, talk to the community right, and they have right. to get support. And, you know, yeah, maybe so, there's people that are opposed yeah. to it. And so, so, so yeah, so, it's, so it's like the, the state can veto ambitious, like if you want to do Medicare for all or something that the state can veto ambitious things like that, but you and yours can veto things as well, given what you have control over. Right. Yeah. And, and I mean, it's, I think that it's, I would love, again, if we could do 15, well, not 15 at this point, like $25 an hour minimum wage, if we could do all these things, I certainly would. And I would be pushing for it, but it's just, we don't have, that's just not the, the field we are operating within. Um, and so, um, Yes, we do have but, but veto power. Getting people involved is also an, an incredibly important thing, and I think it redounds on you know not just the local but the state and federal level in terms of electoral politics, but also just in terms of like, I mean, all kinds of things. If if we we just had on uh, a friend of the podcast, Pete Davis, who was talking about civic associations and talking about how how you know. You can have strong institutions, but if you don't have strong civic associations, you know, that's a huge problem. Uh, and, and yeah. So, and, so, yeah. and so bringing, bringing, so it used like, you know, five, seven years ago, you watch a city council meeting. It's largely the same older folks who would come out and they would talk about projects. They would oppose apartments being built near them. And part of what I've tried to do this term is really get like, not just it's not just an age thing, but like younger people tended to not be around, but trying to get young people more engaged, trying to get working class people more engaged. Um, and I loved that episode on the America's crumbling civic infrastructure, because that's something that like, you know, I go to the DSA meetings and I'm like, hey, everybody, have you been to your neighborhood association meeting? Um, and, right. you know, some some neighborhood associations are, you know, a bigger deal than others. But like these are these spaces where like. I mean, it's, there's really no general, generally like established power. It's like, if you show up and you're willing to like come to meetings, right. you can do you things, come to yeah. one, come to one neighborhood cleanup. And then all of a sudden you're like, you're second in command of the neighborhood association. You <laughs> that's know? actually, that's um, a point that Jamel Bowie, Ryan, remember when J Jamel Bowie came on? That is kind of one of the top yeah. things he said, get involved locally. You can have a lot of power and influence, right? Well, yeah, and, and it's like, you know, go ahead. Oh yeah, he said just go. You can go take over your local Democratic committee. They're they're usually completely moribund. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, totally. And 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 I mean, like with the neighborhood associations, it's like you know, if somebody comes into your neighborhood and says we want to build you know two hundred units of affordable housing, um, if you're not in those meetings, like there's a decent chance that some very loud people are going to say. Eh, we don't want that. Like, uh, maybe, maybe do 50 units and not affordable, you know, like you can, like other people will veto stuff. Um, and, and, 
folks that have these values, that have democratic values, socialists, progressives, whatever, need to be in these spaces. And I mean, I tell folks that your neighborhood association, it's one meeting a month. It's like an hour a month. And if you just keep showing up, like maybe nothing's happening, but something will happen. And then you want to have those relationships with other folks in your neighborhood and leaders and everything so that when something happens, you're a person that can walk in the room and people say, well, hey, what do you think about this? Where are you at on this? Plus, you make friends, build relationships. Life is more meaningful. That's great, too. It's you look after each other's dogs, you know, like all kind of fun (laughs) stuff. You know, it's it's just it's it's good to I mean, look, if 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 you're a socialist and you don't know your neighbors, like. I mean, what do you, what do you get What's off going Twitter, on? Come you know? on. Yeah. That's put, right. put down the books and go talk to your neighbors. You T- know? Touch grass, talk to your neighbors. That's right. <laughs> the, um, you know, Sean, are you running for office again? Because we should, we should get people to vote for you. And if we can illegally vote for you, we'll do it too. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, if I can make a little plug, um, I actually, I actually am running for election. Um, the election is August 3rd. Uh, again, we won a court case that's going to allow us the privilege of having our elections. Um, my website is pitiful right now. It just goes to an act blue link, but you can find it at seanfor5.com. That's S-E-A-N-F-O-R-F-I-V-E.com. Five, ten, fifty bucks goes a long way. Um, these are small districts and we got to get the word out to, to about, oh, I don't know, like 6,000 people uh, in our likely universe. So. There's a lot of mail and it's a lot of door knocking. So any help that y'all can do would be would be much appreciated. Let's do it, left anchor audience. Come on, let's give them the bump. You know, we we single handedly got Nikhil Nikhil Saval elected, didn't we, Ryan? That was us. That was nice. Us. So nice. You know, um, we'll do what we can. Could, <laughs> and you know, Sean actually said he was a fan of the podcast, but then he actually proved it by referencing an episode specifically that he must have listened to. So now you should help him twice as much as before. Well, thank you guys. Um, That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, I do have a couple more questions though. Uh, yeah, yeah. I was just, you know what? I, I quickly looked up while you were talking, you know, like what the Trump margin was in Tennessee. Uh, of course, you know, he won stonking huge victory with 60 odd percent of the vote, a little over 60%. But there's a whole bunch of other states that he did better in. He got like 68% in West Virginia, 69%, not nice, in um, Wyoming. He did more than 60 in, I think, Alabama and South Dakota. Um, and 63, I think, in Kentucky. Uh, Kentucky has a Democratic governor, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, mm-hmm. do, you, yeah. do, you th- do you think that this, you know, like... On the one hand, the, the, uh, you know, the Tennessee three huge overreach in terms of like national attention and backlash to just like, you know, grossly vindictive government. And then on the other hand, like possibly being able to peel off some like business conservative type of people, like people who just want you know, uh, the subsidies to keep flowing and nobody to like kill the goose that lays the golden egg in terms of tourism, investment, you know, and all that type of stuff that's is put at risk. You know, it's like, uh, you, you get too much of a political backlash going in, you know, maybe Amazon or somebody might pull out logistics hubs or something like that. Um, and like, do you see a potential like, uh, to build a new statewide coalition that could 
like contest for power. Yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of something that, you know, before I got so involved at the municipal level, and I mean, I've stayed involved, but that's a project that I've been a part of for, for years in Tennessee. Um, and this is the first time that I've seen, like, just any reason to be hopeful um, about that project. And the, 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 the point you make about, you know, I think that part of what, like, the, the keeps the economy so strong in Nashville is that we can attract these tech companies. They want to come to Tennessee because we've got, you know, the pro-business tax environment. We've got um, low regulatory environment. But their employees want to live in Nashville because we're welcoming, you know, you can – Good good music. You, you get, have good music. Let's not, uh, you know, we, neglect we that. We have cultural amenities. We have decent schools. You don't get looked at weird if, like, you're in an interracial marriage. Like, you, you know, you can be – uh, you can be yourself here generally um, in the city, but we have that, you know, pro-business environment. So, I mean, if if people s- no longer think of Nashville that way, that it is this welcoming place that all kind of different people can come be part of, you know, that's going to be hugely negative. Um, and this really, I mean, I, I don't know when we've gotten some positive attention at the national level in, in recent history. I mean, it's just every time we're on the news, it's, you know, just – and, and, and it's not like they did anything to confine this spectacle. You know, they gave each of these members like two hours to sit and talk um, and, and basically be like cross-examined and go back and forth with all these ridiculous questions and prompts and insulting things that were being said by the, the lawmakers seeking to expel them. I mean, it was just really like you couldn't strategically, you couldn't do it worse than the Republicans did here. Um, and I mean, it remains to be seen what will come of it. I mean, I certainly hope some money. The biggest thing that, that Tennessee needs, you know, yeah, we need a good candidate to run against Marsha Blackburn in 24. We need somebody to run for governor in 26. Um, and those statewide races are really important for kind of activating people outside the cities. Um, really, we're low turnout across the board. You know, even if we just got the cities to turn out in a way that they're not right now, um, that margin – that, that statewide margin closes, that gap closes quickly um, if people vote. We're a very, very low turnout state. Lots of voter suppression, lots of voter disenfranchisement. Um, we had, I forget specifically what passed, but I mean, there were, you know, anti-voter registration laws passed as a result of the um, the 2018 push to, to register all these folks. Um, but what we need is, you know, funding so that staff can stay and work and build here in Tennessee. I mean, this stuff doesn't, it's not going to be built on the back of, of, of volunteers. Like you need good people. Um, like, like, you know, I always look at like the Wisconsin Dems, you know, I feel like they're like a little bit where, um, they're a little bit ahead of where we were. Like if, if where we are, if we successfully execute some kind of statewide thing, but you know, I know so many people, they might like work on some campaigns or something, but it's like, you, 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 you're talented. You're in politics in Tennessee. You're either going to get poached by the private sector or you're going to go to a state where you can work year round and have a, make a real living. You know, um, I see so many people leave politics. I see so many people leave the state because, you know, there's just not year round money for people. Um, there's not, there's some good orgs. Um, there are, but, um, we need more of them and we need funding for them and we need people to work and stay. Well, it's a it's a worthy mission, and uh, you know, let's 
let's make it happen. I think what else can you do, but try to make that happen. Right. Well, there's a, um, there's, we used to say growing up, um, uh, Tennessee to stay or flee was the, was the joke. And it's, it's, (laughs) it's really bizarre, you know, like, I mean, I'm here, my family's here. I'm not going anywhere. Um, and, uh, it's really bizarre. Like these folks, like we have this massive influx of like transplants, like far right, like media figures and whatnot coming here. Daily Wire has relocated here. We've got Matt Walsh and Robbie Starbuck and all them. And I went to, um, they had a big anti-trans rally at the Capitol, uh, like six weeks ago. And I think it was Robbie Starbuck was up there on stage. This is like a transplant from, from California. He's been an like anti-trans transplant. I couldn't help. Yeah. yeah, that's, <laughs> but this I mean, is the hypocrisy, you know, this, the hypocrisy, they the themselves hypocrisy. are trans. <laughs> well, Sorry. he, he's up there on stage and, you know, I'm back there with, you know, kind of the, kind of with the trans folks that were there counter demonstrating and, you know, his message, she looks over at us and his message was, you know, um, get the moving trucks ready because this is not the state for you. And it's like, I, what, what do you mean? I live here. Like I've, you're, you're, you're visiting here for work. Like this That's is right. our yeah. state, man. Like this is where carpet I grew baggers. up. Carpet baggers. Yeah. Damn carpet yeah, baggers. Carpet right? baggers. I mean, like he actually, <laughs> he actually tried to run for a congressional seat in the newly created fifth district and the, uh, the Republican party, um, the state Republican party had like some kind of, you know, declaration that he's a carpetbagger and he shouldn't be allowed to run. And then he got kicked off the ballot. It was very funny. Perfect. <laughs> but, but yeah, uh, just the gall, I mean, the gall to say like, get your moving trucks ready. And it's like, man, you, you, well, I, can I borrow the one that's still in your driveway? Like <laughs> <laughs> what? Uh, th- this is an interesting sort of aspect of this. I think that's maybe suggested by that, that trend of all the far right people moving to Nashville, which is supposedly in their, you know, fantasy imagination, like the heart of, of, uh, you know, Mephistopheles and, you know, it's just like f- demonic flames pouring from every, uh, you know, gutter and, and, um, light pole. Uh, it's like, it, it feels like a lot of this stuff against, you know, the, the, the movements against Nashville, it's, it's to, to like conservatism degenerating to a state where it's like they just want some something to kick they want like a sort of helpless like group of people who basically can't fight back and they just want to stomp on them and like they come they come i feel like uh to nashville because of the liberals that are there like if robbie starbuck got his wish and all the liberals packed up and went to wherever uh, you know, Palo Alto. Or, or yeah. the, the, it would be a boring conservative place with nobody to oppress. Like it, it wouldn't this, be conservative motivation because to, the, you wouldn't you wouldn't have the outgroups that form the identity of right. That that wouldn't. Uh, yeah. You, yeah, yeah, and I think that there's a there's a disappointment. Um, you know, people look at Tennessee and they think, okay, this is some kind of like you know, um, you know, far right paradise, and it's like. I mean, the only place that you're going to have that as like your cultural saturation is like places you don't want to be because I know these folks from California. I mean, they're not into farming. They don't know how to work with their hands. They don't like they're not going to uh, tractor pulls like they're not doing that (laughs) stuff. They don't want to be out there. They want to be in Nashville and then they show up in Nashville and it's like, well, who are all these people? You know, like I thought it was thought this was like some kind of like white 
you know, far right haven. Um, but the thing is, like, the cities, I mean, the, the most reliable indicator, I think, of political leaning for a population is, is, is density. I mean, there's just something that is fundamentally not conservative. Yeah. About well, to be, to be fair, Matt Walsh is very dense, to be fair. <laughs> so. But well, I mean, these guys, they don't live in Nashville. They live in, um, like Walsh lives in Franklin, which is like one of the wealthiest zip codes in the country. You know, it's massive McMansions and yards and, you know, um, um, but, but they all want to, they all want to come hang out here. I mean, hell, uh, what's his name? Cameron Sexton, uh, the Speaker of the House, he represents Crossville, which is about two hours from Nashville. And folks have been looking into him, and apparently he lives in Nashville. Apparently his kids go to a private school in Nashville. His wife lives in Nashville. Like, what, you know, he, he wants to – that's why he's so obsessed with Nashville because it's his city now apparently. Um, so <laughs> – but, but, you know, I think it's it's frustrating to to, you know, buy into this – you know, if you're sold kind of a bill of goods that Tennessee, that all of Tennessee is some kind of, you know, just conservative theme park and then you get here and it's like, no, actually, we're, we're cool. We like other people and that's why we live in a city. And it's, I think it's disappointing to folks and they want to change it. But I mean, the thing is, like the the notion that you're going to like scare off all the people you disagree with, like the, the percentage of people who choose where they live based on the political climate is I would venture to say it's single digit. I think That's it might be privileged. like That's a pretty privileged yeah, thing to do. Yeah. yeah. It's like you're just going to make a bunch of people miserable. That's all you're going to do. Like you're not going to get rid of like there's not going to stop being gay people. There's not going to stop being um Kurdish people. They're not going to stop being like all the different kinds of people you don't like just cuz you're being a bigger asshole. <laughs> it's just going to be like a it's just going to be a bunch of who knew yeah, that, that strategy of, wouldn't work if i'm a big <laughs> enough asshole the gays and the kurds won't exist <laughs> you just, that. there's no that's never worked and like this is great for it to work it would have to be such an ugly endeavor that is let like, alone let alone the gay kurds which is a very small minority <laughs> <laughs> that's right yes <laughs> Well, this has been this has been great, Sean. You've given us a window into the madness behind the, the GOP, and uh, I'm glad you're you're down there fighting the fight. Um, I, you know, you shouldn't have to leave Tennessee, Sean. It's it's your home. Your family's there, and there's plenty of good people there. Uh, the Matt Walshes and and those people should either learn to to live amongst uh, diverse people and, and stop being hateful, or they should leave. We we could ship them off somewhere. I don't know. There's room for everyone, but I mean, you gotta, you got, you gotta let other folks be. I mean, that's kind of the you want to be in Tennessee, let folks be. How about that? That's our, that's our new slogan. I like that. Yeah, I remember can, when I was a bumper in, sticker. Uh, <laughs> a classic bumper sticker when I was in high school is like America, love it or leave it. And if you know, you, you think about America as it actually exists, a giant cosmopolitan, basically empire, multi-ethnic, multiracial, multilingual. <laughs> Uh, you, you gotta, you gotta love America as it actually exists. I'd say, you know, if you want to adhere to that bumper sticker, at least you can't just say, Oh, the white suburbs are real America, even though it's no, like right. 30, to, to 30% love of actual America. Yeah. To love actual America instead of the, the kind of, uh, you know, white supremacist fantasy of what America is. That's the, that's all the difference in the world, isn't it? And, and that America never was. I mean, that, that, that fantasy never, there is not a shining, you know, 1950s. It was just, I mean, maybe you got to feel like it existed because of segregation or because of some other like institutional forces that have been, you know, 
dissolve to varying degrees, but I mean, it never existed. It's a fantasy. No. It's just like these folks who move here and expect Nashville to be some, you know, right wing theme park. It's, it just ain't. No. Yeah. The, the only glorious America is the one yet to come and it's not coming from the right. It's coming from the left. So appreciate That's you, right. Sean. Uh, Re-elect Sean Parker, sir. I think that is, uh, you know, that's what we need in this country. Thank you all. Yeah. I really appreciate it. It's, it's an awesome experience to be here. And thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you in the next episode.